live at the Thomas and Mac for running Rebels basketball. It's Cofield and Company. Out to Gilbert, back to McCabe, top of the key. A three for Jordan McCabe is good. Alec spins to his left, turns back to the right. Blocked by Muoka. David Mublaka knocks that one out of bounds. Blocked that thing to Santa Fe. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. So, BJ, you tell us, with some of the new guys who are, you know, moving up the ladder in terms of leadership, this team belongs to Tyson Degenhart or does it belong to Marcus Shaver? I guess you got to say, uh, I, I guess it has to be Marcus Shaver just because he's the point guard. But uh, in, in, in the final, um, you know, shot of the game, the ball's going to be in his hands. But Tyson Degenhart really has asserted himself as a sophomore, uh, as a guy that can do it all. And he's um, just the perfect kind of team leader, good community guy. Uh, well-spoken, you know, everybody likes him. And, and so I think he's just, you know, the perfect kind of representation for for your program and for a Leon Rice, you know, type program, which is built on character and having, you know, good quality guys in their program and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I think that it's probably, it's a combination. It's 1A and 1B. I mean, uh, Degenhart is really struggling from the outside. You know, he came into the season. I still remember the press conference where he said, uh, or media availability said, you know, that you know, Leon said he went from a good to a great three-point shooter, and he, he shot 42% last year, and they were expecting it to be a significant jump up on that, and it's gone down. He's like 28% from three or whatever this season, so they're still waiting for him to break out. He was two for two from three against Utah State. They're hoping that's the start of something, but uh, they think he's got a chance to be a really, really good outside shooter. He just hasn't shown it yet, but he also can get in the paint and uh, do some things. He's got some nice post-up moves, and is one of those guys that when they just need a bucket, they can get it to Tyson, and he'll find a way to either get fouled or, or uh, you know, do something. The only problem is he's a little undersized at, you know, like 6'8", and because Boise State's been playing small more this year, he's had to guard the centers a lot of times, and that's kind of taken, I think, uh, some extra effort on the defensive end, which is maybe tiring him out a little bit on offense. But he had 19-10 and 10 against Utah State, and uh, he's, he's you know, clearly a, an emerging star that I know other schools, I'm sure, in the transfer portal and all that and NIL would, would love to have, but he's – he loves Boise. He's a perfect. It's a perfect fit there. And um, with Shaver, yeah, he'd been injured, you know, and and uh, came back this year to kind of be the man and run things. And it hasn't totally worked out that way. But he's played pretty well. And as I said, uh, he hit four game-winning shots last year. Either shots that tied or put him ahead in the final seconds. He did it again on uh, Tuesday, last Tuesday against San Jose State. He hit a game-winning three with three seconds left. So he's he's good as well. But they got you know Max Rice, the coach's son, is is playing pretty well now and they got some other guys as well so i mean it's a the the starting five like i said is pretty good that but the drop off is pretty severe their bench they get they've been getting next to nothing from the bench and that's been a big problem for them so when they get into foul trouble and things like that they're 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 in big trouble and so um that that that's i think another big key tonight is uh try to stay out of foul trouble and their best players have to be their best players and that starts with uh shaver and degenhart well let's talk about rice because his emergence has been big i think he's jumped from like four points per game up to Around 12, he's shooting the three ball pretty well. I find him intriguing because uh, he can be an up-and-down guy from an emotional standpoint. So I think defensively, UNLV is going to try to get into him. But talk about uh, his maturation on the floor, off. And I'm, I'm correct on the fact that he, he, he will get into the game. He does get fired up. I saw he had something inter- uh, interesting to say after the Utah State win as well. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, – I wouldn't even say that was his fault, though. I mean, that was the, the uh, Aiken dude from uh, Utah State uh, was just kind of being a, 
you know, whatever out there. And, and uh, was the crowd was fired up, and he kind of got in Max Rice's face on a screen, and then they kind of just uh, locked arms. And, uh, yeah, Max is that guy. Max is the guy that will uh, take the big flop or be the drama queen sometimes, you know, but he can uh, – bait the other guy into doing something you know i think and and max max's man i'm so impressed with max when he when he got here and he when he got to boise state a lot of people you know just thought that you know leon rice was doing doing a favor to, you know to his kid and oh he's putting his kid on the team you know and that's only he's only on the team because his dad's a coach i mean max rice would start for a lot of mountain west teams right now i mean he has really matured and turned into a heck of a basketball player 11.9 points per game like you said he's shooting 93 percent from the free throw line he's also averaging close to five rebounds a game um i think he's uh, like two assists a game or something and then you know he's already made more three-pointers this year than he made all of last year I mean, last year he really struggled from the outside. He got he was like one of 24 at one point last year, and people were wondering why he was still playing. And now he's, uh, you know, the percentage isn't amazing, 37%, I think, but he's already hit 28 threes. And he's, you know, like I said, just become a a consummate pro, man. We, he's, he talks to the media a lot. He's funny. He says the right stuff. And he is a guy that's probably easy for the fans on the other team to, to you know, jaw at and stuff because, he, he like I said, he's the coach's kid, but he's also out there. Uh, kind of doing his thing, and and uh, you know he's the daddy. They had the daddy's boy chant at Air Force last year and stuff. So <laughs> that's just kind of uh, that's just kind of who he is. But he's turned into a legit player that deserves to be out there on the court. And they have another Rice now, Cade Rice. Uh, his younger brother uh, is a walk-on uh, freshman this year, and so he's redshirting uh, this year. But Max will be taking his uh, COVID year next year. Believe it or not, Max Rice has another year left. And uh, when he comes back next year, then his uh, brother. Cade Rice will be a uh, redshirt freshman, and they may have a chance, you know, in a blowout or something, to maybe get on the court at the same time at some point. That'd be kind of cool. You mentioned, and we're talking to BJ Reigns, uh, Bronco Nation News, as we get ready for Boise State in town against UNLV, eight o'clock start at the Thomas and Mac. Uh, you mentioned the uh, thinness in terms of depth, but they do have a couple of freshmen who are playing and are contributing, and that's um, that's not always a given. You know, Air Force has to do that. It's not always a given now in the world of the transfer portal. So who are the freshmen who are actually playing a little bit? Yeah, Jace Whiting went on a LDS mission, and I thought he was going to redshirt. I thought he's on his mission. He's a you know from Burley, Idaho. I, I just uh, I, I miss I underestimated this dude. He came in from the first game of the season and has been really really good. And they've needed him at the backup point guard spot uh, with uh, Marcus Shaver missing a couple games. So he plays his anywhere from ten to fifteen minutes a game as kind of the backup uh, backup point guard. And he's uh, Jace Whiting. Uh, Number 15, he's been uh, pretty impressive in limited spots when they've needed him. And, you know, Sada and Ganga really hasn't gotten going. He was their highest-ranked high school prep recruit that they uh, ever signed. And he had, uh, you know, picked Boise State over, like, Kansas and Auburn and some big-time schools. Um, but he just hasn't really gotten going. He had an ankle injury, and he's missed some time. And he's, you know, had shown flashes – but I think it's going to be a process with him. And Leon has really pointed to like Chandler Hutchison and Derek Alston and some of these guys that went on to, to play in the NBA. Uh, or, you know, it, it took them a year or two at Boise State to really get going, and they had to develop them behind the scenes, and then they kind of just kept getting a little better, a little better, and took off. And they're, they're seeing some signs, and they're hoping that's the same with Sada because he's a 6'10 guard, basically. Um, but he just uh, really hasn't found his way, and it's been a big adjustment for him, I think, going to, going to Boise State and, and the college games. So um, those are the main two that play. Uh, that I can think of off the top of my head. Kobe Young's a young kid that uh, could have played football at Washington, uh, is getting some time now playing at, at uh, Boise State. But the big thing is the five the five spot for them. They've got next to nothing at the center position. Lucas Milner and uh, Mo Silla, uh, both are kind of the backup centers. And, and Lucas Milner was the starting center, and then they made the switch to Najee Smith, 
Um, and Najee Smith took over. He's a you know, little undersized guy at like 6'8", but uh, he brings energy and is kind of a do-it-all do guy, can guard any position, and they felt they were better with him starting. So um, he starts, and then uh, Milner and Silla come off the bench, but uh, they haven't gotten much of anything from the center position. And we were playing some of these teams, uh, you know, whether EK ever comes back or a Nathan Mensa at San Diego State or you know, UNLV, some of these teams, they have the, like legit big guys. They got to have get some production from the five spot and not just have a six, eight guy out there in, in uh, what they're doing. So I, I think that uh, I think that the, that's a big, big concern is the bench lack of production from the five spot. And they are the two things right now. And, and I think but, um, you know, like I said, the starting five are as good as it is. Chibuzo Abbo, we haven't even mentioned him. He transferred from Texas Tech. He's been one of their best players and is really coming on. He's shooting 44 percent from three point range right now. Um, and he has been a perfect replacement for Abu Kijab. They lost Abu Kijab last year, and uh, you know I think Abu's come in and been huge. So um, they, they, you know, another trait. And I'll say, you know, Leon Rice's teams get better as the season goes on. You mentioned a Leon Rice team; it's one that's a lot better and is peaking usually in late February. Uh, so they're they're continuing to get better, and I think that they're hoping that if they can continue on that upward trend, they're going to like where they're at by the end of the season. Well, how about the way the schedule falls? Right, you don't get San Diego State early. Boise plays San Diego State twice. In February, and right now, San Diego State, I think, is clearly the best team in the conference. So that's a yep. that's a good break from a schedule standpoint. I want your impression of this UNLV team. So uh, Boise has had the edge in this series big time lately. It's five in a row now, uh, Boise over UNLV. It's ten of thirteen. And I started uh, asking some players yesterday about UNLV and thinking they're going to win in the final five minutes. Because to me, that's the hallmark of San Diego State. When it gets to five minutes, San Diego State, no matter who the who's on that team. They think they're going to win, and most often they do. And I think Boise has had kind of cultivated that attitude. So what's your impression of UNLV and what you've seen so far? Oh, I think uh, Kevin's doing a tremendous job, and I, I think they obviously got off to the hot start. Uh, I know they've uh, stubbed their toe a little bit, but, I mean, they, you know, to come back and get that win against New Mexico I thought was huge at the pit. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. I was thinking it was going to be a, a pissed-off, you know, 0-3 team uh, waiting for Boise State uh, tonight. And so that was a huge win that they got at New Mexico. And, and I thought they scheduled, you know, I, they had a nice schedule. They, they had a couple decent games in there, you know, with Dayton and uh, Washington State and San Francisco. Um, but for the most part, they played some games that were winnable games. And so they got some confidence, got off to a nice start, got a little bit of a national recognition. But um, I, I've always thought UNLV could be a could be a sleeping giant in the Mountain West, you know, in, in every sport. But in, in basketball in particular, there's no reason, in my opinion, that UNLV can't be just a, a, the, the dominant team in this league. Really, you're right up there with San Diego State every year with what you have to recruit with and and uh, everything else that comes with with UNLV in Las Vegas. I, I just uh, I've thought they've you know, and I'm sure UNLV fans would probably agree they've underachieved, you know, in recent years. So I, I think there's a lot of potential there. I think Kevin's doing a nice job. I thought he brought in some some nice transfers that transfer portals, a, a really nice thing for schools like UNLV. And, um, you know, I, it's funny you mentioned the five in a row, 10 of 13. I tried asking Leon Rice, you know, Le the Boise State went four and oh in the Thomas and Mack Center last year, obviously one at UNLV and then won the Mountain West Tournament. I tried, you know, kind of just jokingly saying, are you hoping to kind of keep the magic going in Vegas? And, and he didn't want any part of that. He, he cut me <laughs> off right away. And he's he's like, oh, that, you could win 100 in a row in the same building, and it means nothing for the next one, you know. And he's he, Leon's great about the focus and just worrying about the game that's next. So if, if I'd have mentioned the five in a row, 10 of 13 to him, I'm sure the answer would have been the same. That five in a row has nothing to do with the one tonight, and I'm sure that's what, you know, Kevin Kruger is saying too, that uh, it, it's a new game and new teams and, 
uh, it's a whole new new year, and so we'll see what happens. But it, you know, I remember when it was probably flipped before that. I feel like I remember UNLV winning a lot of the games previously when I first got here. It seems like I remember a couple buzzer beaters and uh, the Dave Rice uh, game, and so yeah, it's uh, it's uh, you know, I, I I think that the teams are evenly matched. I think UNLV probably has more of the athleticism and and raw talent, but we'll see. Uh, Boise State, like I said, is playing pretty well as a team together, and uh, but they've lost two in a row on the road, so we'll see. I think it's going to be fun tonight. You mentioned the sleeping giant. Uh, let's close on a couple of football questions. Uh, one, were you surprised that UNLV blew out Marcus Arroyo and went with a, a former SEC coach in Barry Odom? Yeah, that was interesting. And me being uh, from the Midwest and I have family that went to Missouri, I followed Barry Odom uh, some when he was the head coach at Missouri. Um, so that'll be, I'm, I'm curious how that's going to work out. Uh, that was an interesting choice. Uh, I was wondering if, actually, from the Boise connection, a lot of people were wondering if Brian Harson would have been maybe a candidate there. Uh, I don't think he ever was, but uh, he, I, I thought that might have been an interesting spot for him to, to land as a head coach. Uh, I think Barry will probably do fine. I know the whole thing with Petrino and the OC search, uh, that was kind of a debacle, and um, but uh, I'm sure he got a bigger raise to go there, so he had to take that. But, uh, no, I, I think that uh, UNLV football playing in Allegiant Stadium now, um, again, UNLV seems like the perfect school to take advantage of the transfer portal. Uh, these guys that are looking for an opportunity, and and I think UNLV could could do that. So I, I uh, yeah, I thought it was a little early on Arroyo. I thought that was a little early to 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 give him, you know, to can him. I thought they were making some progress, um, but obviously they they have the reasons for it, and we'll see what Barry can do. Yeah, ads want their coaches uh, oftentimes. Uh, last one, I mean, quite a turnaround for Boise State football. I mean, there's a tradition there, so it's not su- a surprise that they had a a good winning season and made the Mountain West Conference title game. But you can talk about how low it was at one point when. They decided to move on from the OC, and you know they made a quarterback change, and that was a that was a good turnaround. They have they have a lot of momentum going to this year, and I know they're very excited about uh, what they've replaced Cutter with. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, to be two and two and fire your offensive coordinator and have your starting four year starter at quarterback transfer in the middle of the season. Uh, I mean, it could have gone one of two ways, and if it would have gone poorly, I mean, there's a chance Andy Avalos. Uh, you know, could have been fired. I mean, it was uh, if he would have had a you know three and nine season or whatever, there would have been a lot of donors and boosters ready to make a change. I mean, they're they're trying to do some significant improvements to the stadium. They're building a brand new scoreboard. It'll be the largest scoreboard in the Mountain West. Uh, is going up as we speak. A video board. They've got some other big renovations they want to do in terms of uh, field level seats and adding to the east side of the stadium and filling in the bowl. And you know, they're trying to raise a lot of money for these projects and. Um, that wouldn't have gone too well if they if they weren't winning games. So for the turnaround they did to uh, to have Taylor Green come in and emerge at quarterback and to get to ten wins by winning the bowl game. Obviously they lost the uh, Mountain West Championship game that that kind of stung. Uh, but to come back and get the tenth win in the bowl game that was uh, you know a nice finish for them to go from seven wins in Andy's first year to ten in the second. I think they feel like there's some progress there. And yeah, bringing in Bush Hamden, former Boise State backup quarterback. Um, I think that uh, was a good good hire, and he was the QB coach at Missouri. He's coached with uh, Chris Peterson up at Washington, so he's got a lot of power. He actually was the quarterback's coach for Matt Ryan for a year uh, with the Falcons, so he's got some NFL and college experience, and he comes in as the uh, offensive coordinator, and, and I think um, there's a lot of excitement, but they have the hardest schedule maybe they've ever had in Boise State history next year. They open up at Washington, who's going to be probably top 10 or top 15 in the first game. Then they have uh, UCF who's now wearing that uh, Big 12 patch uh, coming to Boise. And then uh, they also go to Memphis. So the three of their non-conference games are at Memphis, at Washington, and UCF on the blue. So uh, it's going to be a, uh, an interesting season next year with the schedule being tougher. But I think that uh, the offense has most of the pieces returning, and I think they feel 
pretty good about the offense. They just got to replace uh, JL Skinner at safety, who's going to the draft, and a couple other guys. But overall, I think the pro- the program's moving in the right direction. They'll be a borderline top twenty-five team probably to start the year next year, and probably picked again to uh, to win the Mountain West. BJ, before we get you out of here, and we appreciate your time, tell people here in Vegas uh, how they can watch uh, Bronco Nation News. A lot of Mountain West talk on there, and uh, you are everywhere. You're all over Boise and all over the Mountain West. Yeah, we are trying to expand to more Mountain West coverage. I tried to get uh, you know Mark Ziegler and and uh, Jeff Gramer and some of these guys to start a little show with me, and we couldn't quite make it work. So we'll we'll see what we can do. But I, I do want to do more of the Mountain West uh, moving forward, and not just Boise State. But uh, yeah, we're on. Uh, the website is bronconationnews.com, but uh, we're, we have a YouTube channel. That's the easiest way. It's just YouTube slash Bronco Nation News. You can just search Bronco Nation News on YouTube. And we do daily morning shows, uh, live pre- and post-game shows from all the BSU games. And we'll be live at uh, Thomas and Mack Center before and after the game tonight on our YouTube channel, also Facebook and Twitter. So we're just kind of a social media company, uh, do all of our videos on social media and, and uh, Instagram and facebook and twitter and youtube like i said and then we have you know written articles and things on the website as well so it's been a a lot of fun to branch out and i think with kind of this new wave of digital journalism and with newspapers uh, unfortunately i love newspapers i wrote for one for 10 years uh i just don't know you know long term i think people are moving more to digital stuff and watching shows on their phones and things like that so uh, you can fire up fire up the youtube app on your smart tv and watch us while you're having breakfast every morning i know folks enjoy doing that but uh, no it's gonna it's been fun and uh, looking forward to it. And, yeah, they, I would say the YouTube channel. Go subscribe to our YouTube channel, Bronco Nation News. And like I said, we're hoping to expand to some more coverage of other Mountain West teams here in the near future. Well, you're killing it. We appreciate the time. We'll see you here at the arena in just a little bit. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Appreciate it. There he is, BJ Rains, expert on the Broncos of Boise State. You can check out his work at Bronco Nation News. We're getting ready for Boise State and UNLV here at the Thomas & Mack 8 o'clock tip. Still plenty of time to grab your tickets. Get on down here. Tomorrow, we'll be on the road at Silver Sevens, our Thursday home. We'll be getting you ready for a Golden Knights game in town against the Panthers. If you come by, we'll have a ton of prizes between 3 and 6. Plus, you can watch the game at Silver Sevens for all Vegas Golden Knights games. 77-cent beers, Bud, Bud Light, Michelob Ultra, 77-cent bottles during all Vegas Golden Knights games. And Silver Sevens brings back live entertainment. It'll be at the Bud Light Lounge on Friday and Saturday nights. And during those shows, Silver Sevens has a beer and a shot special for just 3 bucks. It's Flamingo and Paradise ESPN Las Vegas live tomorrow, 3 o'clock start with Cofield and company. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. I don't want a coach that's not going to argue back if I say lose a game. Why do I want that coach on my football team? I want him to argue back. If we lose the game, we lose the game. But I want you to be coaching to win. Those players, those players don't want to. They're not going in the game trying to think about, let's try to go get that first pick. We talk about this on TV. That stuff don't come in a locker room. I've been in a locker room. I've never, and I've been on one in 15 teams, three in 13 teams. I've never heard anybody say, let's go lose so we can get a first pick. I've never heard one player ever say that to me in my life. And if he did, I'll bust him in his mouth right there in the locker room. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at the Thomas and Mac. I love Michael Irvin. <laughs> yeah, we talk about media and pairings and TV. I'm telling you, when Mike is with Stephen A, sometimes he, he kind of acquiesces to Stephen A's energy. Yeah. Michael Irvin on his own, is he can become a lunatic. I love that. <laughs> I'll bust him um, in his mouth. That I'll is, bust him in his mouth. <laughs> that, is, that is fantastic. But it's true. I did that. 
Nobody in the locker room saying that. Tank. Guys are fighting what? for jobs. Yeah. I mean, half I the Texans could be gone. Yeah. Not going out here and losing or, or half-assing it and potentially get injured. There is a, a serious topic here, though, uh, and that, that's serious, too, about tanking. But there's a serious topic with Lovey Smith on the heels of David Cully getting blown out after a year. And we talk about you know, diversity hiring and giving people outside the country club a chance. This is a terrible look by the Texans. Remember, Bobby McNair, Cal McNair's dad, was the one who coined the phrase or used the phrase. He didn't coin it. used the phrase inmates running the asylum, which mm-hmm. I think says a lot about what he thought about his players. This is a bad look for the NFL. And, and folks have the right to step up and go, all right, getting opportunities, but are these real opportunities or am I just holding a place for the guy you want to hire because this season means nothing? Yeah, and, and I think that's the genuine – attempt to make your program better think that your franchise is going to get better behind your coach and give him the full support the full weight of your 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 resources to actually help him succeed uh you don't demonstrate that at all the texans haven't the last two hires one year for each coach they're both out uh lovey smith who has a history in the nfl and everybody understands that he was a respected name in the nfl what he did with the bears and the year he got fired there a 10-win team didn't make the playoffs and got fired because of it that was unfortunate but Firing him after one season doesn't show him the respect that he deserves as a head coach. Uh, it doesn't show the genuine nature of the opportunities you give. So it basically makes things like the Rooney Rule, which we anticipated could be an empty kind of option for the NFL. You're trying to force diversity and all these things. That's, this is the owner's responses. If they don't want you in the country club, they're going to find a loophole. But you can't accuse him of not giving somebody an opportunity on the optic scale. Yeah, you can't it. accuse it. We gave him an opportunity. Yeah. What do you want to do? He didn't win. He won three games. He's got to go after one year. It's not us. It's them. Yeah. That's that's what this kind of has the makings of from an optic standpoint. Do the Texans care? I don't know. Do In general, do rich guys really care what anybody else thinks? As long as it's making dollars, it makes sense to them. And that's all they care about. They, and their, their country club friends and the nepotism they're going to hire who they want to whoever's son is is the next you know the next sean McVay or the next insider to step up and take the mantle that's what they're going to look for i still think the last couple of years this has all been a warm-up to getting josh mccown into the quarterback position with no experience because they they floated it a couple of years ago and everyone's like what yeah okay and now they've had a couple other coaches and now they're ready to draft a quarterback number one start moving up yeah i'm not saying he's going to be the guy because they're they're making some big requests but you watch how this turns out. It'll be really interesting to see who is the next head coach, who actually wants the job and takes the opportunity as a genuine opportunity with this Texans ownership. Join Cofield and company on Fridays for the 3-6 to six show at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. There's nothing like a football Friday at Treasure Island. You know, we talked about it. Going into conference play, he started to take himself too seriously. And I said that's a really easy thing to slip into especially as you begin to get success. He was finding success in the fact that he is the, you know, easygoing, goofy, charismatic kid, you know, that you see here in practice. And then when game time comes, it's easy to let that anxiety and tension start to turn you into somebody who's just taking it too seriously. And I told him that at the end of the day, it's a game. Find your breath, get back to doing what you're doing. Now, back to Cofield and Company. ESPN Las Vegas. Rebels playing Boise State tonight, 8 o'clock tip, 7.30 with running Rebel warm-up right here on ESPN Las Vegas. John and Curtis will be along. Caleb Herring is here. Steve Cofield. Coach Mack. What do we call Jordan McCabe on the bench now? Player slash coach. He sounds like a coach, right? 
player slash coach okay. owner. <laughs> there you go. Well, he is. Yeah, he owns a he owns a big time TikTok account. He's he's, uh, he's doing pretty well with that. Uh, John Cooper is here. He is actually one of the coaches with UNLV. I I found that fascinating listening to Jordan McCabe as an older mentor on the team talking about Keyshawn Gilbert. We're going to get into Keyshawn a lot, but what did you think about what he said there, especially on the New Mexico game about Keyshawn just play fast and loose, man. I mean, there's a line, but play fast and loose. Don't don't get all amped up because then your game starts going the wrong way. Well, I think basically what he told him is, you know, take a breath, play the game, be simple, and, and the game will come to you. And I, and I think, you know, even listening to what Jordan was saying, obviously he's experienced, he's been around, so he's seen it on multiple levels and the various things, uh, particularly that go into that position. And, and, you know, to sit and watch a teammate start out and have his struggles, and now you have to figure it out and navigate through it. And what are those things? And I think one of the things, you know, that can be forgotten is, some of these struggles and some of the things that uh, Key is going through are new. You know, he, he's not a he's not an old guy. He's a he's a younger a younger uh, player who last year probably didn't have some of these struggles. And so I think anytime you're able to go through those things, um, it sort of helps you grow. And, and it's it's the step to becoming a better and better player. There's a there's a hidden story in there too about uh, Keyshawn Gilbert and his youth. Because so much of <laughs> basketball now is the holdback game. Right. Like I, you know, I'd have to look it up, but uh, Pop-Up, who you know, prepped in this market, uh, who is at Texas Tech, might be older than Keyshawn, and, right. he's, and he's a freshman. So Keyshawn is a relatively young guy. We went through the same thing here early on with Bryce Hamilton. Turned out to be an awesome player. Bryce was always one of the youngest guys because he, he was on that natural clock, was not a holdback. Right. Well, I mean, I think, you know, you look at Key, obviously he's young, but, you know, <laughs> along with that, you know, or let me let me go back. You look at the kids that maybe prepped or whatever you want to say, and there's more experiences that they've had, more experiences that they've been through, particularly at the position that he's playing at the point guard position. You know, that, that is a a really really learning long learning curve, um, and and it's a it's a daily battle, um, daily struggle at, at at times, and so. You know, when you look at Key and, and you think of him being around and, you know, you think of the season and how he started and everything else, you can sometimes get lost in the traffic and, and realizing how young he really is. And the – I'm sorry, Kayla. I just wanted to mention the situation we're talking about too is Keyshawn Gilbert comes out against New Mexico down at the pit and turns it over a couple times. I mean, they're really going at him. They're poking the ball loose. And, I, you know, I saw him look at the bench and I was like, what's he looking over for? And then you guys took him out. And when I saw him go to the bench, he didn't, he didn't kick a chair. He didn't flip out. He came – and I swear, there were like five of you guys who talked to him over the next couple of minutes. Like everyone had a little bit for him to calm down and, and get him in a vibe about how to bring the ball up and, and counter what New Mexico was doing. Well, I mean, obviously, great, great environment um, to plan in, hostile environment in many ways. Um, but, you know, one of the things, that, it's funny because I had spoken with he and Jordan as we were coming down the elevator. It was just the three of us heading into a pregame mill, and I was talking to him. Uh, those two um, about taking care of the ball early and, and understanding how House gets involved in games and, and how he sets the building on fire with his energy and ability to get st uh, steals and, and home run plays. And, and we talked, and then at the end of it, you know, both those guys said, I got you, I got you. And so, <laughs> of course, you know, it happens early and it starts. And, and, you know, one of the things, you know, that, that I said to him was just be simple. That's all. Just settle down, be simple get into the flow of the game you know sometimes you struggle early and now you start pressing just get into the flow of the game take care of the ball get the ball moving and then the energy will come back to you 
How big is it uh, for a young guy to have a, a player voice, not just a coach? And you, did, you know, you can talk to him on the elevator and pregame and from a coaching standpoint. How big is it, though, to have a player who's as experienced as Jordan McCabe be the voice that tells you that? Is it more relatable to a younger point guard to be able to digest that messaging? Or is that how much value can you assess that Jordan McCabe actually has as that voice? Well, I think there's a lot of value there, particularly if you know that it's genuine. And coming from Jordan, you know, Jordan has given it to him for him to have success. And so, uh, you know, it's coming from a selfless place from Jordan. And I think Key understands that. They have a great relationship. So to be able to hear it from Jordan is, is really encouraging as a player. And you're not sitting there worrying, well, well is this guy trying to? No. He knows that, hey, in order for us to be as successful as we want to be, you know, we need you to play well. John Cooper's with us, assistant for the Run Rebels game coming up tonight. $2 beer night. Come on out. Boise's in town. Leon Rice is in town. Ugh, man, that guy sometimes. Uh, but Boise, <laughs> Boise is a really good program. There's a history there. Um, listen, I, I do sidelines for both football and basketball, and I've talked to Caleb about this. Um, the, like One of my favorite reasons for doing it is to watch coaching, to watch the kids, to watch motivation, to watch reaction to tumult and adversity. And... I find David Mwoka completely fascinating because he is super talented. He's generally the biggest guy on the floor. And, the, you know, one of the narratives this week was David appeared to get kind of mad mm -hmm. in that game against New Mexico. And I, I think it's the same thing in football with, with big fellows on the offensive line. Like, you, everyone's big now. High school was one thing. Right. Everyone's big now. So talk about coaching David and that kind of that, hey, man, you, you got to get an edge when you go out there when you're battling fellow bigs. Well, I think that's one of the things that's lost in that last game is what David gave us and, and David's ability to step up and provide some offense inside the paint. And, of course, he was, you know, 50% from the free throw line. And they were big free throws that he hit. But, I mean, I think you have to first give credit to uh, Jamal Williams. I mean, Jamal's done a terrific job with David and, and being able to identify with him having played the position. Now, obviously, they play it different. But, you know, one of the things with David is, you know, and, and I often wonder this. Sometimes, you know, you have the European players, you have the foreign players or whatever. You know, is there a difference in how you really, you know, garner the attention or grab guys and, and reach them where they are? And I, and I think, you know, you look back at that game and you saw David and, I mean, you, you saw some of his ability and, and I'm sure you're sitting there saying, well, you know, hey, if we can get this every game. Now we've yeah. we've really gotten something. And I think that's one of the things that, as a as a staff, that you know we see those flashes from time to time in practice. And so we're saying that same thing. You know, it's, it doesn't have to be that you score 11 points or whatever it was that he scored, but you know the consistency and the presence of of that. And and sometimes you wonder, you know, do I need to just go run him over and and, <laughs> and make him mad? I'm trying to think. There was a football <laughs> you know? player with the. Was it the Jaguars, uh, John Henderson? And one of the coaches just used to slap the crap out of him before the yeah. game. I mean, football's a little different. Just, <laughs> just, like, they're, they're just slap him. Like, yeah, what is going on? And he, would, he, would, he would get mad at the coach for not slapping him hard enough. I remember that. He yeah. would say, slap me harder. That wasn't enough to get me ready for the game. Some people need that, right? And there may be a different motivation. Have you been around enough, I guess, foreign players to have a, a, any kind of new data on that? Like, and is there a different way know, to reach them? I don't, I don't know. I mean, but obviously David is a uh, smart kid, you know, he communicates well and everything else. And, you know, it's like you can do that. Right. Don't be afraid of the moment. I don't think he's afraid, but go ahead and put your print on the game. Go ahead and 
get pissed off. Yeah. Go ahead and, and, and show the energy and the desire, and, and that's okay. And so, you know, I, I thought it was great because there was a point in the second half, and I think it was when David made one of his uh, jump hooks, and he makes the jump hook, and the emotion that he shows yeah. going back down, you know, from a coaching standpoint, I mean, you know, we're like, hell yeah. That's how it was. Yeah, you know. So, so let's talk about coaching and the dynamics, uh, dynamics within a game. So the way the pit's set up, there's not a lot of room to walk around, right? And I actually, I was, and I was, was seated. Hot. I was, it was hot. It was hot. <laughs> I was seated behind you guys. I'm never seated, like, right there. Uh-huh. And, man, watching the dynamic of Kevin Kruger and then your role uh-huh. and then Barrett Perry's role, that was a fascinating watch. Really? That was a, that, oh, yeah. You guys don't notice what's going on, like, during the game and all the – it's this organized chaos because you, you – because – you guys, as assistants, I could see were responsible for certain things. Uh-huh. Um, Kevin, in a lot of ways, is trying to fight for a fair game with the officials a lot of the time, but he was like really amped up. And I thought uh, you and Barrett were kind of the voice of reason. Like there were some times late where Kevin's like, "All right, what are we doing?" Like you know, there's some things right. that you guys are responsible for. I mean, you you know that happens, right? Yeah, I mean, but I guess I, you, you're just so you're, used you're, to doing it. You're 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 in the moment. Um, New Mexico was my scout, for instance, so. And typically when it's your scout, you know, you, you've watched so much film that you can see, you understand this from a football perspective, there may be some tendencies or, or different things that, that may occur. And so you're trying to make sure that you're locked in, you're in the moment, and that when you do give information that you're not all over the place. Yeah. And so, you know, you're calm and everything else. I mean, like, you know, for instance, like BP, BP is a guy, BP's energy and he's up all the time and everything and we're sitting there and we're looking around seeing around bp sits down grabs your knee my bad my bad squeeze your knee you know and everything else and then you know we we call jamal the big dump truck we make sure he has room when he sits down as he says hey this is a big load coming down here you know so it's it's funny but there is there is you know like you said i guess you know there is organized um chaos in that you know you want to give information to um kev and you want to give him precise, good information. And then there are times when he may go into the huddle and you may see a conversation going on with the officials over there with us. And, and it's funny because, you know, this is, uh, I think, this, will be, this is my th- 29th, 30th year. BP's done it. Jamal. Jamal's, some of the officials were officials when Jamal was playing. Um, BP's been a head coach. I've been a head coach. So there's some officials you, you really, really know. Uh-huh. And you can have a different conversation with them than sometimes maybe even coach can during a timeout because you've just known them for so long. Right. And, you know, that's the case a lot of times. You're just trying to say, hey, you know, what did you see? I don't think – take a look at that. I think you might have missed that and everything else. And you're just trying to give it to them in a calm voice but not overstep the boundaries so you don't end up getting the dreaded T as an assistant. And a lot of, the, a lot of what coaching, what I've observed, what coaching is is the relationship that you build within your staff, whether it be for players to staff or staff amongst each other, right. so that the chaos that, that everybody else sees is actually very organized because you have that relationship built up. Right. Um, being able to do that now with Coach Kruger and, and the relationship you've built and that communication, I guess, being the most vital part of it, and making sure that the communication and the messaging from Kruger on down to the last guy on the bench is smooth right. internally. 
That's, I think, one of the biggest things about coaching that a lot of people miss is being able to communicate your points. In-game is completely different than at a controlled environment, in practice, whatnot, what have you. I think the best coaching staffs are able to make that chaos look effortless and not really make it become a distraction on the court from, from what the game plan should be. Well, I think, you know, like he was talking about his seat, I, I think one of the most interesting things is when you're able to be near a bench, near a timeout like that, you know, unfortunately, most people can't do it or can't afford to get down there. But once you've had it, now you feel like you're, you're missing a huge part of the game <laughs> if, you're, yeah. if, if you're not down there and around it. Because I, I think sometimes people will be amazed at the conversations yeah. that are being had and, what, and what's being said. And, and I think what's happened even over this short period of a season is coach, coach trusts us. And, and so our job is to make sure that he can concentrate solely on what's going on out on that floor. And there are going to be times because there's a lot going on that we may see things. Maybe he does, maybe you know, maybe he doesn't see them, and yeah. you bring them to his attention, and to let all the things on the outside not affect what he's doing, and everything doesn't need to go to coach. Mm -hmm. You know, there are things and there are fires that are going on during the game. Yep. You may have to take <laughs> care of yourself. I mean, let's face it. There may be a, someone may come out and someone's upset and everything else and you're in the timeline you're just standing next to him got his ear like hey okay i see i saw what you, you relax yep. just, you know so it's all kind of things you know how it is and yep. you know i mean he played football yeah, and you gotta be a different dude just to <laughs> yeah, be I out there and that stuff so, i was thinking yeah. of that too like i as a sideline guy i'm behind the bench so i can see a lot of the assistants talking to their crews but i don't know what goes on with the head coach like i can't get close enough to the head coach and who's right around him that must be friggin lunacy john cooper's with us uh last couple minutes here yeah um and by the way, uh, Tim Durier is the veteran assistant next to Leon Rice. And Leon gets he's, – he's a charged-up guy during right. the game. So I'm sure he plays an important role there. And he was a former head coach at Utah State. Let's talk about the Boise roster. So, you know, we've been around this conference for a long time. And I swear, they basically have the same team every year. They're, they are physical. They're not, they're not gigantic this year, but they're thick. They're physical. Uh, they play smart basketball. They play really good defense. They're top 20 now. Ken Palm just ahead of San Diego State. So what do you see with this group that makes them a big challenge? Uh, skill level, um, ability to play together, ability to pass the basketball, which is, uh, is, is really lost on people. Um, because when, when you play against a team that is uh, a terrific passing team, they can really, really highlight breakdowns you may have. And they can pass at multiple positions. And, of course, you know, nowadays there's no young teams. You know, it's it's hard to find a team that's young. I should right. say there are some, but so they have experience, and yet still they still have some size. They're not like this right. this small team. And so what happens is you've got to really, really be locked in on your assignments, locked in on what you're doing, or else you're gonna you're gonna pay the price. And then you know they they've had success. This is this is nothing new. So when you you have success, that is your barometer. Or that's your thing to lean on. That's your crutch. You've been there. You've done it. There's no need to pay. It's panic. contagious from yeah, year to year. Absolutely. Just as San Diego State, and uh, I think Boise's there the last nine or ten years now. Um, I would assume, and Kevin Kruger mentioned this yesterday during his media session, that uh, Tyson Degenhardt, on, not on the perimeter, because he, he's a good perimeter player, yep. but on the block, getting him deep feeds is not going to be good for you guys because he can either score from the block or that passing ability. And then, you know, people have been kind of, you know, sort of skipping on you guys to get open yep. threes. He's going to be the key on that. He's a problem. 
<laughs> that's what that means. I mean, yep. it's, you know, my son's younger than me. Uh, my son's in eighth grade. He's about, he's almost my height. But when I play him, I may take some jumpers, but then when it gets down to where <laughs> I go ahead, I don't have time for all that running around and all that. Man. I go ahead and take him in there and go ahead and hit him a little bit, tell him to go tell his mama, you know, you can do him. You know, I have to deal with him when I get home. Yes. That's sort of what he is. Yep. I, and and yep. I mean that to the yep. utmost compliment. He can do it from outside, but then he can go and he can take you in and he can hit you, he can beat you up, or he can sort of set you up and you think you have him and you know what he's going to do and, He's only doing that. He's already set you up. So um, he's a really good basketball player. He's the guy when you go to the YMCA, you look out there and you go, oh, he's pretty good. And then you get out there and you go, oh, he's really good. Yeah. That's what <laughs> yeah. he is. Yes, no doubt. All right, Coach, we appreciate a couple minutes. We'll see you down on the floor in a couple hours. Absolutely. There he is, John Cooper, it. assistant for the Run Rebels game coming up at 8 o'clock. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. What do you have to do now to defend Dagenhart? You know, he's the number one option as opposed to, you know, number three or four last year. The way we guarded him last year and and just kind of uh, even highlight it or, or multiply it, uh, understanding he's really good with his back to the basket. He's a great passer, but he's also become a pretty a, a pretty good threat on the perimeter as well. And even though he shot it really well last year, like you said, he wasn't the, the primary focus. He was kind of the guy who always seemed to drive a dagger in your heart. And, and this year, they're, I think they're kind of showing that there's a lot of similarities there. They've just kind of changed the order a little bit. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Caleb Herring is here. Great job hosting today. Totally appreciate it. You came all the way down to the Thomas and Mac, so a big help. For us, you hear uh, Kevin Kruger talking about one of the best weapons on the Boise State side. I freaking love this game because uh, Boise is consistent. Their coach is, he's, ooh, he can be grading. Leon Rice is a really good coach. Um, he has a son on the team, and his son is kind of an extension of dad. He's very up and down, and I, I think this is a great topic about kind of coaching to go against emotional players. Uh, I asked Kevin Kruger the other day, hey, you mentioned to guys like, hey, you can kind of get this guy a little bit loose if you get him fired up. Maybe not exactly in those words, but yeah, to an extent, you know, if you've got somebody that you you think you can, you know, like even, you know, at New Mexico, for example, you know, you know, you've got a 40 minute fight on your hand and, uh, you know, it's not somebody that you can take a break on or, or lose sight of, but especially or let them get going. Um, so, yeah, I think that's it. that just comes down to the scouting report that we give the guys is, is you know, somebody that you know, everybody plays hard in Division One basketball. But, you know, when you've got a guy uh, that, is, that is a place with a lot of emotion or something, I think that's, yeah, that's something that we will point out from time to time. You played hoops in high school. You watch a lot of hoops. There are emotional guys, and sometimes it works. Like Matt Bradley, it totally worked. San Diego State, man, he was a freaking bouncing off the walls, but he's making everything. Yeah, there's, there's, there's guys that use their emotions and play with their emotions a lot more effectively. Like when everything's going good, they're way better. But if you get under their skin, if yep. you knock them off their if off, off their mark, they're affected by a lot more as well. And I, I look at the NBA and I think of guys like Devin Booker, who when he's on, when he's lights out, you, you can't bother him. But once he's bothered, once he's out of his rhythm, once he's out of the comfort zone, he turned into a little bit of a powder, in my opinion. And there was a great clip back uh, over the offseason where he's working out 
and they throw a double team at him. They're playing pickup ball, and they double team him. He goes, we can't be out here double teaming, guys. And everybody else is like, what are you talking about? It's, it's, it's work. We're getting working. You're going to get double teamed. You're that good. But once he's out of it emotionally, I think he, he suffers a little bit. His game suffers. If you can find the chink in somebody's armor, exploit it. And in any sport, somebody that relies too heavily on their emotions, you can absolutely get under their skin. And I think you go for it if you got a chance. Yeah, defensively tonight, they need to go at Max Ray. He's a good player. He's starting to make a lot of threes, but you can get him all charged up. His dad gets all charged up. This is going to be really interesting, and I'm telling you. Uh, and Leon Rice hates that we mention this. This Boise rivalry against UNLV, they've had a lot of success lately. But you go back to DeVille Smith up there, uh, you know, a review in overtime. Did he make it or not? And Leon Rice right in front of Dave Rice. Is, yeah! And a lot of Rebel fans will never, ever forget Never forget that. it. Yeah. Running Rebel World coming up.